like we should have known this already But we even talked this at all everybody and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about back pain because we're old. Yeah, I ended up in urgent care this week because I was starting to become paralyzed from the waist down. It is not the first time this has happened because obviously I am the one person on earth who developed sciatica at the age of about 22 to 23, but at least we're getting closer to an official sciatica diagnosis now. Hooray! It only took 10 years-ish. Uh, longer, yeah. It, it, that's the thing about being female, is doctors treat symptoms but not causes pretty often, and I mean, I dealt with that with my thyroid for 10 years, like, they were treating the symptoms and being like, I don't understand why you're not getting better. And I kept telling them, it's hypothyroidism and you guys are refusing to treat it because you don't want the person who looked on the internet to be correct. No, that can't be right. Have you tried diet and exercise? Nope, never. Di- diet? As in like a meeting of groups? <laughs> yeah, I literally, when I went in for the first time for my thyroid, the doctor had the audacity to say to me, have you heard of dieting? No, never. What is this? Is this some sort of witchcraft? I'm not allowed to do witchcraft. My parents told me so. Like, and at that point, I was working out like five days a week at the gym and eating no more than 1,200 calories a day. I brought my food diary and they told they basically told me I was lying. Oh, doctors. <sighs> I've had to bring Austin to doctor's appointments with me because I they don't believe me about the pain. But if I bring Austin in and they're like... So what's your pain level? And I tell them, like, uh-huh. Austin goes, no, she's not kidding. She is just not a crier. Yeah. Uh, luckily, that didn't happen this time. The urgent care doctor took it seriously. So I'm on some meds. But guys, take good care of your backs. Look up exercises you can do to take good care of your backs. Because back pain really does get serious. And on top of it all, we have a street fair in front of our house this time of year. Yeah, you might hear some more background noise than usual. There's a street fair, um, the church across the street closed their parking, the rest of the churches, and we have literally eight churches within walking distance, maybe nine, have their parking lots open, but the church closest to it said, fuck you guys, and our streets are completely crowded, and also apparently the trains are running more than usual today, so. Yeah, lots of trains today. You'll probably hear some background noise, so sorry about it. We are still very excited about our new theme song. We hope you love it as oh, much yes, as we do. I... I love our new theme song. And uh, information about her will be in the show notes again. So make sure you check her out. Whether or not you're looking for a podcast intro or anything, she is an independent artist and she's available on different platforms. Or if, like, say, for instance, you wanted to hire someone to write a song about the time that your wife was wrong about something to commemorate the event. If such an event were to ever happen (laughs) and you wanted to hire someone to write a song about it, I would recommend her. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And you might hear my water bottle a few times because the steroids make me thirsty. That's true. She's on steroids. Like, Yeah, I, man, got, I got the roid rage big I time. I really wish I'd done my baseball episode now while you're on steroids because you might have understood it better. Are and you they... are you saying that I did not understand the concept of a 17-year-old girl baseball player? No, I'm making fun of the steroid use in baseball players. Yeah, okay. Out of all sports, except for maybe golf. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's like, come on. I don't I don't get it. Man. Most of the game is literally spent standing and doing nothing. I know. I was actually reading an article a few years ago about how much time is actually spent playing a game versus how much time is spent on non-game related things. And one of the sports, I can't remember which, but I think it was like 11 minutes of actual play time and the rest was sitting around. Oh, I know um football, I think there's like sub 10 minutes of gameplay in some time sometimes. Yeah, even though they've got these big-ass timers, they keep the timers going while they're not playing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the, it's, it's the illusion of having a lot of time. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, unlike, you know, soccer and ba- basketball, where they're actually playing the entire time, just about. Yeah. Soccer games are fun to go to. I've never I've never liked basketball. See, I we're from Kansas, so uh, we just get way too much college basketball, and it's left a bad taste in our mouths about basketball in general, because it's predatory and gross. Yeah, at one school here, you can get away with anything if you're on the basketball team. At another one, you can get away with anything if you're on the football team. 
When I was in college, this was a blurb in our college news that one of the football players got pissed that there was a boot actively being put on his car after like 3,000 citations for not having a driver pass. So while this kid, other college kid, was putting a boot on his car, the guy got into his car and ran over the guy's legs and had no actual consequences because yeah. football player. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So I believe Austin is going first this week. I do get to go first this week. And since it's my turn to go first, after a couple of productive weeks off, I have found a great topic. And I'm going to talk about how the FBI violated the civil liberties of American citizens. Never. Well, one of the times. One of the less well-known times. Certainly one of the first times. Okay. Well, the first times post-World War One. Okay. Uh, just real talk here. Uh, things like The Silence of the Lambs and The X-Files and, like, crime TV shows have given us kind of a rose-tinted image of the FBI. Mm-hmm. But they have been front and center of a whole bunch of sketchy shit for the last hundred years. Like, J. Edgar Hoover, the, the early director of the FBI is easily an entire series of episodes of nothing but atrocities and excesses committed by law enforcement under his direction. Yeah, if you want to learn a little bit about what it's like inside the FBI dealing with him, or at least the leftovers from him, I highly recommend John Douglas's books, particularly Mindhunter, which is very different from the TV series. Because he actually gets into, like, the leftover rules from Hoover and how people were like, Hoover is a god. He was like, when I'm sitting here seeing all the inefficiencies and problems. Yeah. But yeah, this is a big one. It's an early one. And one that caused a pretty big and long-lasting backlash. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the Palmer raids. Mm-hmm. Now, when we think of the Red Scare, we think of the communist wish hunts under Joseph McCarthy and, like, in the 1950s. Sure. But they started web way, way, way before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually started around the tail end of World War I, when the Ruffin- Russian Revolution in 1917 made virtually every politician around the world shit their pants. Okay. There was this big, important country with a long-lasting monarchy that was just overthrown by communists. And in America, this meshed really well with our existing fears of immigrants mm-hmm. and of labor unions. Mm-hmm. So... It became a kind of panic around here. And it was just that continued bullshit idea that immigrants have divided loyalty and every one of them, every single immigrant who's come to this country is just waiting for a chance to betray America. Yeah, I know that when my great grandmother came here from Canada, that was her whole goal, overthrowing the United States government. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those Canadians always wanting to make us play hockey and eat poutine. Uh, Lacrosse is the official sport of Canada. Thank you very much. We should probably do a podcast in Canada sometime. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. And and of course, you've heard about all of the reasons that, like, you know, rich people hated labor unions and still hate labor unions. Bezos. Fucking monster. Mm-hmm. But, of course, things happened and it really escalated this kind of, like, low-grade, like, just fear of everything into an absolute panic with riots. Uh, there were, uh, in May through June of 1919, a group of anarchists following an Italian anarchist named Luigi Galeni, no relation to Mario, uh, carried out a series of bombings in Washington, D.C. and areas around the East Coast. Because he believed, and his followers believed, that the best way to change society was to explode tyrants. I mean, I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but these... Doesn't, It doesn't tend to work. No, I mean, it's it hasn't worked yet, but maybe, maybe eventually it might. Yeah, guys, um, don't keep doing that because it's illegal, but also we see where you're coming from. Yeah, we understand the sentiment, but this is not, this way has never worked. No, to overthrow a tyrant, all you have to do is ask nicely, really. It's true. Has anybody tried that yet? Just I mean, asking politely? I don't think so. Maybe we should be the first. Yeah, like, what if we went to, like, North Korea and we're like, hey, Kim Jong-un, could you please be just kind of nicer to your people and also stop threatening us because it's just causing all these issues worldwide and everybody has their own problems we get we get that you are really proud of your country but could you please just chill out a little bit has, if no one has asked like why has why anyone try? tried like a firm but kindly written letter a cease and desist order <laughs> it's like please stop it okay but these bombings they were not exceptionally effective bombings for a number of reasons because firstly They planned the bombings to be all on May 1st, but none of them were on May 1st. Uh, 
They mailed out or hand-delivered 36 dynamite bombs wrapped in brown paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bombs, uh, some of them did work. They injured two people and killed two. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the people killed was one of the anarchists trying to deliver a bomb to the the house of Attorney General A. Michael Mitchell Palmer. A. Mitchell Palmer. uh, The guy who these raids are named after. Um, It was like... Again, this is the only person that killed. It damaged Palmer's house. And it was also a close call for future president uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wait, was this the only person that was killed? I thought you said there were two. There were two people killed. This is one of them. Okay. I think the other one was a housekeeper who opened a package. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, it was a close call for FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt, who lived nearby Palmer and had walked by his house minutes before this package exploded in the guy's hands uh they were actually close enough that his body parts landed on their house and were had had to be collected as evidence gross yeah uh there were also 12 of the bombs that they mailed out were held at the post office for insufficient insufficient postage (laughs) and uh postal workers recognized the description of the bombs from the news and said wait don't we have just a bunch of these sitting here that didn't get enough postage and they called the police and found out yeah these are bombs Good thing that the, the the USPS are sticklers for their postage. Yeah. So you add, like, these attacks that were highly publicized and had gone after people like Rockefeller and all of these, like, law enforcement officials, civil servants, um, leaders of agencies, senators, millionaires, all of these people. You add that to an environment where that was just hyper-nationalist after World War One. uh, had Woodrow Wilson sitting there in the presidency being openly racist Mm -hmm. and where white wealthy men were already working or already against workers organizing. And suddenly they had the entire country of Russia rise up against the ruling class. And now you have a bunch of Italian American anarchists with communist and socialist sympathies, sending bombs to all of these people. And when each of these bombs went off, they spread in the area all of these anarchist and communist flyers strewn about, about how there was an upcoming revolution. People lost their shit. Mm-hmm. Like there were literal riots as the public tried to demand action, any kind of action from like, the government and attorney general Palmer, who they tried to blow up, uh, saw this as a chance to put himself very firmly in the public eye and use the goodwill from hunting down these anarchists to, help him run for president so he could be the next president of the United States. How'd that work out for him? We'll get to that. So in his bid for president, he put a uh, up young upcoming federal agent uh, who's in charge of bringing these bombers to justice. J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> now, I love to blame Ronald Reagan for about half of the shit that's going wrong in this country. And Reagan did absolutely fuck things up in ways that are still collapsing society around us. But if I'm being completely honest, Hoover was probably about as responsible, if not more responsible, for all the problems with law enforcement and criminal justice in this country. Mm-hmm. Just hands down responsible for it. Like, the man had an honest-to-God colossal, colossal collection of pornography taken by agents of people in gay bars or in their homes, of like, or people committing, like, in having sex of just famous figures, including, allegedly, Eleanor Roosevelt. He had this colossal file of pornography he would use exclusively for blackmail. Was it all same-sex pornography? No. Okay. It was all kinds of pornography. If you were naked, they would take a picture of you. That's creepy. I don't care for that. It's super creepy. He had this. And that's not even in the top 40 list of atrocities this man has committed. Like, he's bad. He is very bad. Yeah, leave Eleanor out of this. Now, arrests and deportations of suspected leftists, anarchists, or labor organizers had already been going on for some time. But in 1917 and 1918, the Sedition Act and the Espionage Act made it easier than ever to arrest people for suspicions and deport them and hold people. And uh, Palmer and Hoover took full advantage of these new laws. But they also did not exactly follow these laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, deport- the, the, uh, the deportation warrants Hoover needed to do anything had to be approved by the Department of Labor. And Hoover and Palmer had to lie to get them. They greatly exaggerated the the number of communists in the labor movement and any threat they posed to the United States. So they were lying to get these warrants, and the Labor Department was just absolutely pressured into giving them. And meanwhile, Palmer was going before Congress saying, hey, I need millions of more dollars to hunt them down. 
Congress eventually approved five hundred thousand more dollars for, which not is, insubstantial at that's, the time, especially at the time. That's a substantial amount of, amount of money. Uh, then they started raiding the Russians' people house. Uh, remember, it was an Italian anarchist who had been doing the bombings, not Russians. They knew this, but they did it anyway. Kind of like we've done in the Middle East because we think they're all the same country. Oh, yeah. And uh, these a- these agents arrested more than 200 people attending classes and meetings and started beating them with clubs. They arrested an entire algebra class, beat the teacher in front of his students. Then the agents demanded the students give them all of their money. Uh, after the agents had robbed them, they wrecked the place, beat up everyone, and threw them into wagons waiting outside to haul them away. Uh, they went in looking for members of the Union of Russian Workers, and of the 200 people they arrested, they only ended up finding 39 Union members. Uh, I don't know if the students ever got their money back from the agents. It's they ban- were not they were not charged with anything and were released shortly after. It's bananas to me that that's still legal because oh, yeah. like they seize things from your house or your car or whatever, believing that they are part of a crime. Once they determine that the crime did not occur or you weren't involved, they don't have to give you your money and belongings back in most cases. Uh, there was recently a story where a military veteran was traveling with like $10,000 in cash because he doesn't trust banks. And they assumed that it was illegally gotten funds because how could a person of color have $10,000 other than drug money in yeah. cash? Uh, he didn't do anything wrong. But last I heard, he didn't get his money back. And they pep- if they, I think this is the same guy who they pepper sprayed his dog, who was yeah. not a threatened threat to them. They were pepper spraying him and his dog was right next to him. Uh, yeah, also, leave the dogs alone. Yeah, there's lots of stories of, I think it's a civil seizure in which yeah. they take stuff without actually having to charge you and they never have to give it back. Yeah. It's it's pretty fucked up. There's You can read about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also did a raid on the Union of Russian Workers building and they actually did uncover a bomb factory hidden behind a false wall. But these was not in any way related to these bombings that had happened or any of these flyers that had been printed. They actually made very few arrests about the actual bombings they were invest- allegedly investigating. Yeah, kind of like how we haven't found the bomber from January 6th yet. Yeah. Um, and granted, thankfully, neither of the bombs went off. But it's really crazy to watch this one video of them from like a ring camera where they're standing there and, and somebody walks by with their dog and they make eye contact and they do the polite nod. And then he kind of just like watches the guy and then puts down the bomb and leaves, I think. I'm saying he. It could have been a she. Yeah. There is uh, one theory I've seen online that it was Marjorie Taylor Greene. I have seen that too. I wish it was true because that would be just delicious. She would, she'd pay somebody else to do it for. Oh, absolutely. That woman's never worked a day in her life. So anyway, uh, the first round of these raids resulted in over a thousand, a thousand arrests in 11 cities. Uh, people were pulled out of their homes without any official arrest. Mm-hmm. They were just snatched up out of the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearly 100 men were held for five months in Hartford, Connecticut, without being told what they were being held for or being allowed to contact their lawyers. Uh, they were all released after five months without being charged with anything. It is crazy, too, how much how often that still happens. You yeah. just get held and they don't charge you with anything. And you're technically, like, only kind of under arrest. Yeah. Uh, uh. New, the New Yorker, Gaspar Canone, was held without being charged when he wouldn't confess to being an anarchist. So they tortured him. Uh, when he still wouldn't confess, they forged his signature on a confession. More weight. Then there were the mass deportations. What? We have never had those. Yeah. It's uh, not happening with the Haitians right now. 249 people were loaded onto an army transport ship and shipped off to Russia. Were they all... No, not all of them were Russian. <laughs> uh, there was some like the, the some public fanfare around this, and the news referred to it as the Red Ark. There were even some just classy political cartoons at the time. I'm sure. Uh, so after this initial success, air quotes, uh, Palmer tripled the size of the operation. Uh, there were somewhere between an estimated 3,000 to 10,000 arrests made in 33 cities, 800 of which were from alone, were just from the city of Boston. Now, is this of Russians or Italians? Of anyone they suspected to be a part of the labor movement, communist party, or an anarchist. Suspected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the abuses also escalated 
In Detroit, hundreds of men were held in a small area in the federal building for five days without food or water. <laughs> they were finally moved to Fort Wayne for questioning, which turned out to be uh, just more torture and beatings. And to help coerce them into naming other people as communists and anarchists, they would bring in their friends and family and torture them in front of them to try and get a confession out of them. Yeah, and this goes back to my whole, no, no one is truly good and no one is truly evil, with some exceptions, because if you're there, people will often not name names, not confess to something if it only hurts them in the long run. But if they bring in your family or say, we're going to kill your family, it's not about you anymore. And you have to choose between these other people or your closest family. And that happened a lot in this and Nazi Germany, both. Yeah. Now, in, in the city of Chicago, 150 men were arrested. And out of those 150, like a, less than a dozen were charged with conspiring to cut off the power to the city and steal its food supply. How? All of the food supply? How would a handful of men steal the entire food supply of Chicago? Yeah, they're going into um, Shake Shack, just taking all the burgers and all the milkshakes. Yeah. It's like, this is ridiculous. And like, this was actually what the prosecution was arguing that they were trying to do. They ended up not being charged. Now, all of this was going on, and Palmer was convinced that there were 300,000 more radicals out there and they were planning a mass uprising on May 1st of 1920. And this is all before the actual Red Scare where they had the all of the celebrities they were bringing in, right? Yeah, this is before that Red Square Scare. This is the original Red Scare. And But as, as he was es escalating all of this, he was very quickly losing public support <laughs> as the news of the abuses and the civil rights violations got out. A group was actually founded during this time specifically to combat the human rights and civil rights abuses by the Palmer Raids. Uh, we know it now is the ACLU. Yeah. This is yeah. how the ACLU got its start, was to combat this. We should talk about the ACLU on an episode sometime. Oh, like, yeah. not just, you know, the, how they started, but what they actually do, because I yeah. don't think a lot of people know. So now, at this point, Congress was mad at him, and the labor secretary, who was granting the deportation warrants, quickly rescinded most of them. And then after that... May 1st came and went, and there was no uprising. And unlike now, when a wild claim was proven to be false, people abandoned Palmer en masse. Mm -hmm. Unlike, you know, say, for instance, QAnon, where, oh yeah, Donald Trump's coming back any day now. It's on this specific day. And when that comes and goes, they just pick a new day and keep believing because they're idiots. Yeah, we've had a few of those with, like, deities that are supposed to show up. And that's a little terrifying when you think about it in terms of them knowing for a fact this is an actual person or something like one. And uh, naturally, uh, Palmer's bid for president crumbled and he ended up losing in the primary. Shocked. Shocked. Hoover didn't really suffer any punishment for his role in this other than beyond some bad press for a few years and being yelled at by Congress for a couple of minutes. Uh, he later became the director of the FBI and immediately fired all of the female agents. Yep. Not surprisingly, the FBI website paints a slightly different picture of the Palmer raids. Uh, they said the raids were justified and Palmer and the Department of Labor really did all of the bad stuff and Hoover was just following or orders. And really, even though... Following orders from himself. Yeah. And really, even though things got a little out of hand, it was just a valuable learning experience and helped us learn how to respond to terrorism better in the future. I mean, that's not technically incorrect, probably, but... I think they just learned... I don't think they learned from their mistakes so much as they learned to cover their mistakes a little better. Yeah. And it's like, sure, some people lost their civil liberties, but boys will be boys. Yeah, the FBI is such an interesting branch of federal law enforcement because I think most people join the FBI are there to be like, I am going to really help people. But they're often, and I don't know anything about the leader of the FBI right now, but Hoover left his mark for decades. Oh, it, he's still, his shadow is still weighing pretty heavily over the FBI just because of the people he promoted. And like everyone in leadership kind of models their behavior after Hoover to no small extent. Yeah. It's the model behavior for the FBI. He was the very model of a modern major general. Yes. And he had information, animal, mineral, and vegetable. And also state secret. 
And anyway, after this, the United States Justice Department never violated civil liberties again. <laughs> Just kidding. They did it constantly against a variety of th perceived threats then and even up until today. They have just been less open about it. Because I know while researching this process, this topic, I saw tons of parallels to what happened during to this as what happened during the war on drugs, the war on terror, the civil rights movement, McCarthyism, the anti-Viet war movement, and the satanic panic. All of these similar things where they decided, oh, we don't need to pay attention to people's rights. We know this is a problem and we're going to solve it by any means necessary. And they were wrong. Okay, dude, you know how everybody was saying Dog the Bounty Hunter is going to be the one to catch Brian Laundrie? I never once thought Dog well, the Bounty Hunter was going to catch is, anybody. I bet there are a bunch of actual non-TV bounty hunters on this, because th they do exist. And a shit ton of PIs on this, possibly just for fun on their part. But Dog the Bounty Hunter, I didn't know much about him before, but he lost 1000% of his credibility with me when he said, you should have seen the books he was reading. They were way worse than those Dungeons and Dragons books. <gasps> he was reading Chuck Palahniuk. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, uh, Chuck Palahniuk is a thousand times worse than Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, but he's not inspiring you to do anything. Yeah, really, if anything, Chuck Palahniuk is inspiring you to do absolutely nothing and sit there and just be a garbage man in a fedora. Not a garbage man in the sense of people who come by and pick up your trash because they're fucking heroes. A person who is literally made of trash. You know, I've never read a Czech Palahniuk book, so I'm going to stay out of the conversation on, on I, his merits. But I've actually been interested in reading a couple of them because, like, the one that he was talking about in particular was a satire. Yeah, but like some good satire, the people reading it don't understand it's satire and take it very seriously. Yeah, that's like, it does, like, you can go through anybody's bookshelves and try to find a connection between what they read and the kind of person they are. Oh, I really pity anyone who tries to do that with our book collection. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and they'd have to go through my Audible account. And my Audible booklet, my Audible checked out owned books, I think is 130 now. Wow. I've had this system for a long time. Audible, you're welcome to sponsor us. I'll be talking about you some more later in the episode. Oh, uh, Audible, I, I have no interest in you sponsoring me. Amazon's an evil corporation. Cut that out. We Never. want their money. Austin, this means that we take money from Amazon. Oh, man. Do I dare sell out my principles? Yeah, I yes. think I will. Yeah. Give us, give us money, Daddy Bezos. Yes, you you sell out your principles when a. It's one of those things where you have to kind of look at it as what is the lesser of two evils? It's taking money from Amazon, looking at it as taking money from Amazon, or looking at it as supporting Bezos. <sighs> we have sixteen listeners. I think that they lose. I think so. <laughs> Hello, sixteen listeners. Please, I think four of whom might be me automatically downloading on different devices. I'm not <laughs> sure. I know one of them is me, just so I can make sure I actually uploaded shit right because I'm bad at this. Yeah, I you know signed into a few different podcast platforms on different devices because I was checking on the podcast, and they might be automatically downloading. We might only have three listeners. I don't know. <laughs> if you're a listener, send us a tweet at on the test pod so we can try to get an accurate headcount. Yeah. So are you ready for questions? I am. Questions about whether or not something will be on a test, not what the answers are. Yep. Okay. Will the fact that federal agents literally beat up a bunch of math nerds and took their lunch money like they were some <laughs> kind of teen bullies in a teen movie be on the test? You know, I kind of wonder if this inspired any like cartoons. Not political comics, but just like... The concept of beating up the I, I wonder if, like, all the entire works of John Hughes are based on these raids. Oh, okay. Uh, like the Brexit Club and shit? Yeah. I don't think they had a whole lot of beating up of nerds in those. Yeah. I'm, I'm going back to the John Hughes movies I've seen. Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles. Uh, oh, shit. Um, I am blanking on the name. The one where Molly Ringwald gets pregnant. Uh, prom baby situation. I don't remember what it is. I can't think of any that had a whole lot of nerd beating up. There was yeah. some nerd stealing underwear situation. Oh, God, that was gross. Yeah. All right. Next question. Will the FBI torturing family members in front of suspected radicals to try and coerce confessions be on the test? It depends on what class we're talking about, but probably not. Will the fact that Hoover might have had nude photographs of Eleanor Roosevelt in case he needed to blackmail her be on the test? I doubt it. And will the American people being so outraged by these raids that they form the ACLU specifically to fight against these violations of their civil rights be on the test? Yes. Like those one incident is like the inciting incident of the ACLU. Just wow. And the inciting incident is often a portion of the plot diagram that is left out. We tend to go straight from, you know, prologue or um, 
I'm blanking on the phrase even as a former teacher. I'm guys, I'm a little loopy on these meds. But we tend to go from just the background of the story into rising action. The rising action can't happen without the inciting incident. You should always know what the inciting incident is when you are thinking about the literature you are reading. Fun. Which I'm talking about literature today, as you might oh, have Oh, you are? Excellent, because I'm out of questions, and that might be the perfect transition. Well, in terms of the perfect transition, I have to go get my tablet out of the other room and see if it's charged at all. So you can either remain completely silent for the next few minutes and cut this part out, or you can just talk about something while I go check. I'm going to talk about something. Uh, we started watching Squid Game, and I really want to finish it. It's so good. It is also, like, the best depiction of America I've seen, even though it's set in South Korea. It's just, oh, it's... Very good. If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. I would recommend watching it. It is uh, subtitled and in Korean. And apparently we're missing a lot of it because we don't speak Korean or really don't know like Korean culture in depth because there's some... Maddie was talking about an article she read in which like, yeah, you're missing a lot by not speaking Korean and knowing a lot about Korea. Yeah, and a lot of people who are bilingual are saying that the translations are wrong. Oh. And they're wrong enough to... It's more like they got the gist of what was being said. But the specific wording matters. Um, like there's one point where I can't, I don't know which one was wrong, but it's something along the lines of I'm smart. I'm just not educated. And versus I am, in, I am intelligence. I just never had a chance. Something along those lines, which have very different meanings. So yeah, localization is hard. Yeah. The thing is, though, there are companies out there that will translate anything that you do into as many languages as you want, down to, like, specific subparts of cities. It's like, if you've, you know, probably heard all the jokes about English people, especially Londoners, being able to narrow it down to, like, a city block where somebody is from based on their accent and the wording they use. And it's not that different in other countries and other cities. Like, I, a few years ago, I was thinking about this earlier today, uh, they at another school had something called Jag Time. Oh, God. Uh, which is what they called their study hall. And I would chuckle every time. And finally, the teacher from the school says, why do you chuckle? I'm like, because jag is an insult. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never heard that. And so I'm like, jag, it basically means idiot. You're calling it like idiot time. And then I looked it up and it's, I guess, predominantly used in Philadelphia or in the surrounding area. <laughs> and I think I picked it up from 30 Rock. But yeah, it just made me laugh every time because like you guys are just saying idiot time. I mean, it's middle school. Everyone needs some idiot time in middle school. You know, and I, I'm going to reframe that as, yeah, everybody needs some idiot time in the sense that they need a break from their normal day, whether that's doing their homework or reading a book or chatting quietly with their friends, something that's just not the norm. I feel like they would call any of that idiot time, really, because they would look at it as non-academic, not helpful. How dare you do something non-academic in a school setting? Yeah. Well... Anyway, let's go into what I'm talking about. Yes. So I said I was talking about literature and I said Audible's coming back up. I'm talking today about whether you get equal amounts of, uh, equal amounts just in general out of listening to audiobooks, reading physical books, or reading ebooks. This is a hotly debated topic, especially because in schools they are transitioning largely to tablet reading because it is significantly cheaper than buying hundreds of textbooks depending on the school size and then having to replace them every few years because something has changed or history has increased because time might be wibbly wobbly timey-wimey stuff but we write it in a linear fashion in history books i remember i had an english book in high school that that did not yet do the s apostrophe it was still s apostrophe s so if you're talking about like this is jonas's book we would write s apostrophe jonas apostrophe book before that, it was Jonas S apostrophe S book. Uh, our entire class got that got the punctuation questions wrong on the final exam over our grammar because we didn't use what the book said, which was over 10 years out of date at that point. So having these on file allows you to not have to rebuy textbooks. You probably can pay some kind of fine, not fine, fee to do upgrades every whenever they come out with a new edition just to automatically have an upgrade. You can't, kids are going to, are less likely to lose their tablet than they are their books. And then on top of that, we are allowing more and more kids to opt for audiobooks over any other kind of book. And we are also allowing students who have some kind of reading relating, related disability use audiobooks. I am not going to, in this overall thing, talk about people with disabilities. I might, it might come up a couple of times, but that is a separate issue. I am talking about people who 
are neurotypical, have no vision or hearing issues. I'm just talking about the concept overall. I'm also not telling you which one you should enjoy the most. Whether or not you enjoy something versus whether it's effective, two different things. Like, you could really enjoy playing basketball and also be terrible at basketball, and that's okay. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you about my experience with ebooks. So I had a I had a Nook for a while, which was the Barnes & Noble tablet. Yes, I remember. And I went on vacation with it, and it rained that entire vacation. And the first day, my Nook broke. Ugh. Half the screen went dead. I couldn't read anything. And I was on a family vacation with nothing to read while it was raining, and there was nothing to do. There wasn't even TV in these cabins. No. And this was not with my card-playing side of the family. This was with my, we need to be doing something or else we'll be stuck with our thoughts side of my family. (laughs) So, uh, I wasn't on this trip, Austin. What side of your family are you talking about? Um, Yeah, I, I prefer print books, personally, when I actually have time to read. Otherwise, I prefer audiobooks. What about you? Oh, absolutely. I prefer print books, but with my job, I can listen to audiobooks while mm-hmm. I work. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Well, we are not alone in this. As of 2019, print books remained the most popular of the three types of options among adults. That said, the number of people who read print books is going down. Just a little, but to the point where it's like barely statistically significant, but it is happening. The same is happening for ebooks. The number of people who read them is going down with a little more statistical significance. Not a huge amount, but going down. The number listening to audiobooks has almost doubled between 2011 and 2019. The real takeaway here, though, is that 72% of adults said they had read at least one book in the preceding year before the study. 72%. We love to talk about how people don't read anymore. 72% people had read at least one book, which... Sounds like a very small amount to a lot of people, but when I was a teacher, I was lucky to get one book in per year because I was so busy. Yeah. Think about people who, you know, like Austin can listen to audiobooks at work and he can get in a book a week at least. People who can't have earbuds in can't do that. People who work 12-hour shifts can't do that. Oh, I mean, I, I work in a library where a large portion of our job is, like, knowing popular books. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have a ton of time to read books. Mm-hmm. And if we break these numbers down even further... of those 72 adults said uh, they only read print books. 28% they read digital and print, meaning uh, audiobook, ebook, and print books. 7% said they only did digital. Now, this is all pre-COVID. I'd be curious to know if the pandemic affected this, because now you're working from home. Nobody can see if you put your Um, earbuds in. I can tell you a little, I can give you a little bit of an idea. I know that um, the library's circulation of of digital material has gone up significantly. This is, I mean, largely coincidental just because, or not coincidental. Correlative. Correlative. Because it's like, it's my one one library system, but our use of digital media has gone up. And also it's become easier to get digital media because there is a paper shortage. Mm -hmm. There's an everything shortage. Yeah. So like print, they're making fewer print books. So sometimes a digital book is your option. So people will read that. All right. And I am going to talk, break, break this all down some more just because I think these interesting statistics, they don't really have to do with the effectiveness of the types of reading, but I thought this was interesting. Of those 72% of people who had read at least one book every, that year, 75% of women, as opposed to only 67% of men, had read a book in the previous year. The number of men reading has decreased, even though the number of people reading overall has increased. Women were more likely to have read or listened to all types of books than men. People seem to read fewer books as they get older, though it's worth mentioning that the youngest group was 18 to 25, I think, which includes people in college, which requires a lot of reading. Believe it or not, in all groups, they were most likely to have read a print book over all the other types. Uh, And I mentioned earlier, you know, that print books were the most popular, but it doesn't matter if you are 18 or if you are 80, you are more likely to pick out a print book. A lot of people like to say, you know, oh, these kids will only read the e-books and listen to the... That's not true. Ignoring print books. Those 18 to 39 are most likely to have read e-books and those 30 to 49 were most likely to have listened to audiobooks. Unsurprisingly, wealthier people are more likely to have read a book in the last year because the richer you are, the more free time you have and... The same goes for the level of education you have, which means that you have probably read a lot more books in your lifetime. It's kind of become a habit. People in urban areas were the most likely to have read any type of book. 
Now, we love to say people in urban areas don't try and that they're just out there committing crimes and being rude. First of all, bite me, that's stupid. But secondly, they're the most likely to have read a book in the last year. This was immediately, like, I think 1% difference followed by suburban, and rural was 8% beneath that. Yeah. Oh, urban... I'm not surprised by the rural, because our, our rural branches, um, there are people who will sit in the car while their family goes in to get library stuff and will refuse to go in the library because they don't want to be seen going in the library by their manly friends. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, urban and suburban were tied on both print and ebooks, but urban won out on audiobooks, which I would largely imagine is because of access to public transportation, because you can, you know, read a physical book on public transit, but you already have your phone and head headphones make people less likely to talk to you. So the good news is that adults in general are reading. And to be clear, the wealthier groups were a bit more likely not to just have read, but have read all sorts of books, which makes me think poverty plays a role. If you can't afford a phone or a tablet that has the memory for ebooks and audiobooks, that affects how what the kind of books that you can read. These people at lower income brackets might have read more books via audiobooks, via ebook, if they just had the money to afford the upgraded phone or a tablet. I think the results are skewed because poverty levels weren't taken into effect. Back to the bigger topic, which one is the most effective? Why do people still read print books the most when you can carry one device in your pocket and that is, in theory, more convenient? Now, a lot of people love to say, because it helps you the most. But the primary theory by people who actually study this, they think it's habit. When we were all raised on reading paper books, it's hard to transition from paper books to ebooks or audiobooks if this is the only thing you know how to read, the only thing you know how to annotate, whatever the case may be. Even my master's thesis, which to be clear was 75 pages long, I, I did 100% of my research on note cards like was done in the 70s. I did not use a digital format for this, which nowadays I would. But I had never had that training. So I dipped into my sophomore of high school ability to write and write a major research book. If I can find my box of posts of note cards, I'll post it on our Instagram on the test pod because I want you to see how many note cards I wrote. And also, we do know for a fact that writing things by hand does make you retain it more. So you kind of remember, I, I was like, OK, shit, I wanted this point. Which file would I put this under? Now, even younger adults who are in college are still likely uh, or in college age, are still likely to have read paper books in school. But my former students did a lot of their reading on their tablets. So I think in the next five years, things are going to start flipping from paper books to ebooks. Now, I when I need to annotate, remember something, I always get the print book. But with ebooks, you can do a lot of the same things as you can with print books. I just prefer the print. Now let's start with ebooks, though. That's my least favorite of all three of these. But maybe it's your favorite, and that's fine. A 2016 article called Tablet-Based Ebooks for Young Children, What Does the Research Say?, which was a comprehensive study of other studies, talked specifically about tablet ebooks, pointing out that previous studies of ebooks had been largely based on computers and not hands-on ebooks. Uh, so not tablets, not Nooks, not Kindles. It's believed that one of the reasons that, spoiler alert, people do better with print books over ebooks is the lack of physical connection with the work itself. So the Nook, um, so the lack of studies on tablets was a problem because unlike a computer, you can hold the tablet and they're set up to make it feel like a book. Like some of them even kind of feel like paper when you touch them, which freaks me out. Also, it was ridiculous that as of 2016, almost all of these studies have been done on computers because... All tablets have been around for almost a decade at this point, as had iPhones, which could do these things. Anyway, this is what I think starts getting really important, as we know for sure that kids whose parents read to them when they're young and who have easy access to books in their home, even just as a visualization of look mom and dad read, are more likely to become strong readers later on. With If your parents have switched over to ebooks, that you don't see the books all the time. You don't have the reminder that mom and dad read. The only thing you have is that time, hopefully, where your parents read to you at some point. However, uh, oh, apparently they're also supposed to help with motor skills. Uh, paper books are because, you know, you, get, you can learn to turn the pages. But if that's true, then why are my motor skills so bad? Because like one time we were going on vacation and I packed an entire duffel bag with nothing but books. It was a pink duffel bag with Barbie on it. It was the coolest. Uh, and I had it until I was way too old for it. I wish I still had it. My parents thought I was crazy, but I did read several of the books on that short vacation. 
let's start with what they say about the differences between computer and paper books. They bring up that even though the study showed that e that ebooks were on computers, when used appropriately in a school setting, kids did better in literacy than they did using paper books. The problem is not the medium, it was how the medium was used. The teachers were not trained in this reading method. And guys, this happens all the time. So often your teachers are guessing. They've been told, we're switching to this method, figure it out. Now, when the teacher was well acquainted with the system, things went really smoothly, better than with paper books. The kids who performed equal or less well, their teachers were not trained appropriately or had biases against this format already. They also mentioned that children were more willing to keep going when adults were reading audiobooks with, or uh, reading ebooks with them. So they were like, no, more, another chapter, another chapter. They were more willing to do that. However, they were less likely to initiate any discussion about what was being read. The adults would initiate like, oh, what, what animal makes this noise? And the kids, you know, sometimes you, as a toddler, would point at something and go, cow go moo. Kids were less likely to do that on ebooks than they were on paper books, but they were more likely to want to continue reading on ebooks versus paper books. So you kind of have to weigh which one you want and how you address the subject in the first place. The problem here too, everything for young kids up until this point had not just been about computers. It had largely been done on adults. Um, so they did do some kid studies, which I mentioned already, but most studies on the effectiveness of these of different mediums had been done on adults. So we're sitting here saying, what about the children? They'll never learn to read. Based on studies about adults, adults who did not grow up with audio or ebooks as their primary form of reading. That would be like having kids take a cursive test versus adults. And like, why are these adults better at cursive than the kids? Because they learned it. Also, cursive is useless. They move from this conversation onto tablets versus print, finally. Um, kids no longer need a mouse or a, a keyboard, which, if the programming is good, makes an ebook far more accessible to anyone with physical or motor disabilities. They are also often read, they can also be read aloud, like you can click a read aloud button and it typically won't have any emotional, it's like robot voice, but you can hear the words. You can also zoom in on it, which you can't do with print books, so that helps if you have, I zoom in on everything because I am blind. Um, not literally, I just really can't see very well. So I zoom in on everything. You can also get dictionary definitions clicking on different words so you don't have to go find a dictionary if even with context clues you can't figure it out or you want to actually know the strictest definition and you can see animations in it. Like there's so much going on in eBooks that doesn't go on. You could also find words like, oh, they're talking about this earlier. Who's this guy? And you can go back mm -hmm. and find, like, find instances of their name and like, oh yeah, that's what's mm -hmm. going on. I, and then what's funny to me is that they've got these animations in there and sometimes they will turn ebooks directly into textbooks without thinking about the fact that a lot of things are in there like watch this video and you can't click on it and you can't watch the animation because it's a paper book. The results of this study was mixed based on the type of outcome they were looking at. It also became mixed based on age. They found that if ebooks were introduced under the age of three, the results were sometimes worse for that age group. So early, early on, paper books are probably the better option. At three, ebooks seem to more consistently have better results than paper books. The only ones that were truly mixed, so usually ebooks win in almost every category. The only one that had truly mixed results were the ones that had teens in it, which is important because the ones that had teens in it as of 2016 had at least for the first part of their childhood grown up exclusively with paper books. So it goes back to if you didn't learn how to do something, it is very hard to learn how to do something later on. Not impossible, but hard. And especially with how fast teachers have to go and how parents are always on the go and parents are more likely to still have paper books. When are you supposed to do this? How are you supposed to do this? How are you supposed to know you're missing something? So one thing I loved about the study is they didn't just show a problem. They showed a solution, which is scaffolding, which is essential when you are talking about any method of education or comprehension. In education, scaffolding is essentially making sure the bottom layer is secure before you build the next layer and making sure that layer is secure before building the next layer. Kind of like a scaffold around the building. Because if there is no effective scaffolding, people die. That's why we learn the alphabet song and how long and short vowel sounds work before we're really expected to read and write, uh, write well. We're expected to read simple books before we get into complicated ones. If you sat a five-year-old who is a really good reader down with Hamlet, they would not be able to read it because they didn't have the scaffolding leading to Shakespeare. Hell, a 10-year-old would not be able to read it because uh, if they had never gone over thy, thine, hath, because it's kind of like reading a different language and you recognize parts of it, which is going to get even more frustrating. 
And you can't really use context clues when that many of the words don't make sense to you. So that's scaffolding. By the time we get to Shakespeare, kids should have a solid grasp on other types of reading, and then you have to scaffold on what the Shakespearean words mean before you can have them read Shakespeare. So they said that ebooks on tablets were showing increasing possibilities, but scaffolding and ensuring adult-child interaction during their use, just as you would with paper books, is essential to the success of future adults when it came to understanding words on the screen as well as words on a page. In other words, grown-ups, get your shit together. Now here's a controversial one, audiobooks. Audiobooks are becoming increasingly used in schools to help those with reading-related disabilities, and as I mentioned, they can also help with the understanding of different uses. I don't think I mentioned this, actually. They can understand the different uses of language because they're, they can hear the emphasis on certain words. But are they as good for you as, quote-unquote, real reading? Oh, I don't know. Because I know uh, the one problem I run into with audiobooks is... I'll be listening to him. Then uh, my my uh, confused little like idiot brain will get distracted by a shiny object, and I will miss like a few paragraphs, and something important will happen. So I have to rewind thirty seconds, and then I'll immediately get distracted and have to rewind thirty seconds again. And that actually is one of the points that was brought up about all three mediums: is no matter what we're doing, everybody gets distracted while reading. And if you are reading an ebook or a paper book, you are still reading it, but you're distracted. Your brain isn't there. Same thing with an audiobook. This is one of the times when paper books are actually best because you can kind of flip through to get back to where you were. You can physically feel about how many pages you've turned in that time. You can't do that as much with ebooks, and you can't do that at all with audiobooks because time has no meaning. Oh, God, with ebooks, like trying to go back a few pages and accidentally going back to the beginning of the book and oh, losing your God. spot. Hell. Now, as Beth Rogowski, a, an associate professor of education at Bloomsburg University, put it, quote, I was a fan of audiobooks, but I always viewed them as cheating, unquote. And for some reason, I think a lot of us think feel that way, as, perhaps because we can do other things while we're listening to them. We're not paying their full attention to them. So Rogowski, instead of just saying, these books are stupid, don't use them, actually decided to study. She had one group listen to sections of the book Unbroken, while a different group read the same sections on an e-reader, and a third read the book while listening to an audiobook of it at the same time. They all then had to take a quiz, and she said, quote, we found no significant differences in comprehension between reading, listening, or reading and listening simultaneously. Oh. So there is no difference that she was able to find between paper books, audiobooks, and using both at the same time. Again, this is about neurotypical people who do not have disabilities. That would make one automatically preferred over the other. This actually surprised me, though, mostly on the listening and reading simultaneously thing, because that actually is something teachers are told. That, well, if you listen and read simultaneously, you'll retain more because different parts of your brains are, brains are activated at the same time. Now, I actually am a big fan of audiobooks in classrooms so that you can hear the language in certain points. I think I mentioned this at one point, maybe last week even, where... We had a teacher who played an audiobook portion of The Crucible so that we could get a better understanding of what Tichaba said, things like that. I think audiobooks definitely have a place in the classroom for that purpose, to help you understand it. I am very surprised to hear that reading and listening at the same time was equal to the other two. That said, what her study tells us is that listening to an audiobook over an ebook is not, in fact, cheating. It is just a different way of digesting information. And if we consider the fact that more schools are going entirely to ebooks for the sake of cost and accessibility, this is important, kind of. Because remember, she was talking about paper books. Ebooks were not part of this study. And this study was recently enough that that is a major issue. There should have been more groups. And again, it's really hard to find people for your studies. So I get it, but I would have tried digital media in general if it was me. No matter what type of reading you're doing, your mind... Oh, we talked about the, moder the mind-wandering thing already. Yeah. Cool, I told you it was That's because our minds wandered and we already mm -hmm. got to that one. And I mentioned that the ebook thing was a major problem. So let's talk about print books. You'll hear study after study saying that reading on a page is better than for retention than reading from any kind of screen or audio reading. You'll hear that constantly. Well, first of all, Rogowski proved that that's not true when, it, when comparing to audiobooks. I mean, she proved via one study. I'm sure that there are others that say other things. Well, I decided, though, to do some digging. And I will say most studies I found said paper is more, you'll remember, you'll comprehend and remember more on paper. The thing is, again, these studies were on adults who did not grow up reading ebooks or listening to audiobooks. If you do not have experience with the medium, you are inevitably going to retain less because you are trying to learn the medium as well as listen or read the book. I think, again, schools are going to change things a lot, and in five to ten years, we will have e-readers be way more popular. 
according to Tirza Louderman and Rakitet Eckerman for the June 2014 issues of Computers and Human Behavior, not only was learning worse on screens, but it using but using a screen made people feel more confident that they would succeed. This is an interesting point. Again, they presented a problem. Learning is worse from screens. They explained why people are overconfident in their ability to read from screens. Not that they are actually less capable, but they believe, oh, this is somehow going to be easier because it's on a screen. I don't have to focus as much. And they provided a solution, which was practice, which is what we've been saying this whole time is make it a habit, learn how to do it. And by practice, they literally mean doing this again and again, not increase confidence in the paper readers, but increase ability to understand in the e-readers. So they don't just come in all cocky. So in short, Audiobooks and ebooks consistently showed equal comprehension rates. Ebooks e consistently show lower comprehension than paper books, but those studies are almost exclusively done on adults, not recently graduated high school students or students currently in high school. And we're always like, think about the children, they'll never be able to read real books. And also, audiobooks are cheating because we aren't helping them learn to read in a different, in the correct way. And we're, re and they also think that we are not trying to help students with learning disabilities read. Like, no, we work on reading skills with them because they have to be able to survive in society, be able, in most cases, to read printed words. We are not ignoring that fact. But when you're reading a whole novel and you sit there crying because you're struggling to read the whole novel, that is not helpful. So, no, we are not not teaching them to read. We are making sure they understand what they're reading when they're reading something longer. If ebooks and audiobooks show equal comprehension, it is reasonable to assume that audiobooks versus paper books is similar, in which case practice can make perfect in all cases. Ebooks and audiobooks, I believe, will catch up within the next five years. Well, all this boils down to is, though, the need for more research. It's pretty apparent that the primary factor in what's most effective is based not on the format, but how someone was trained, both the teacher or parent and the student. The only way to actually do a full study, though, would be to follow the same group of people from age, you know, three through 18 or 21 or whatever, have one group consistently only read paper, one book always read ebooks, one group only do audiobooks, and then mixes of all of those, which is not feasible. It's not, in, that one is actually not unethical in terms of a lot of things, but it actually could be if we go entirely to ebooks and then the paper book group is like, well, fuck. But, but my study. <laughs> yeah. So we'll pretty much have to do regular studies over, over the period of time. So as methodology and technology evolve, we will see changes and we will see what is actually working. Also, I didn't mention this. A lot of these studies were done in the 90s. Oh. Which is another big factor, especially on ebooks. A lot of these were done in the 90s before they were at all common ebooks or audiobooks although do you remember getting audiobooks on cassette tapes oh yeah absolutely it's like road trips we check out like a basically a suitcase of cassette tapes uh-huh that was just a single book all right and that is the end for me uh so wow. basically print books still slightly beating out in comprehension and retention but ebooks and audiobooks are catching up and we are not doing enough studies on younger people to see whether or not these are actually less worthwhile i will say it's like for me i can comprehend pretty well from audiobooks and ebooks it's just the experience is more pleasurable with a paper book. And I, I don't agree. know what it is about that. There is something really nice. Like you feel the pages, you can smell the book. There's a lot more going on and it feels special because you're on your screen all the time. It feels special. Yeah. And with audiobooks, you're usually doing something else. So you don't, it doesn't feel special. Something, there's just something really nice about sitting and reading a paper book. But who has the time? Who has the space in their backpack or pocket or wherever to carry um, a book? All men do because our pants have large and spacious pockets. Yeah, I have a, I have three Stephen King novels in my pockets right now. <laughs> yeah, eleven, twenty-two, sixty-three, The Stand, and Christine. So you, two of the big ones, one of the shorter ones. Yeah. Do you, are you ready for some questions? I am ready for questions. Will this be on the test? There doesn't seem to be an appreciable difference in retention between ebooks and audiobooks. Yes, that will be on the test. Paper books still have the highest retention rates, but most studies have been done on adults. Yeah, that will be on the test. And this is proof that a lot of results aren't set in stone because numbers have been changing over the years as humans change and grow and, and consistently use technology over time. Oh, no, no, no. We can't talk about anything changing. And that is the differences between retention in the three most popular mediums for reading books. Ooh. Also, yes, I know that the plural of medium is technically media, but when we're talking about this, mediums tends to be a little less confusing. And unless... 
unless we're talking about like psychics who are doing readings, then it'd be even more confusing. Is that calling them the media? The media. <laughs> the media is lying to us. So all of your psychics are trying to trick you? Also, that should say the media are lying to us. What? Are you saying the people with the signs are using grammar improperly? No, never. Yeah. Uh, how are we writing? I feel short this week. We're actually, we're about an hour and six minutes right now, a.k.a. what we've been shooting for and constantly go way over. Maybe I write better when I'm on muscle relaxants and steroids. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Where can people find us? Why, they can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at OnTheTestPod, oh, at on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod and our website on the test pod.com. And the website is still in flux right now. Uh, I'm really bad at this. I basically need two different blogs and only let me have one. So it'll change pretty radically, hopefully soon. And we'll have transcripts back up. So keep your fingers crossed that I'll be able to learn how to do the webs. She is internetting so hard right now. Like, I can do SEO all day long, but I can't build a website, so I can't implement the SEO. That's why we, that's why we hire different people for different jobs. All right, and I haven't eaten today, so I should probably do that. And like most episodes, we're going to end on me being hungry. So on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.